0: If you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guests and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift. Well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Hi, everybody. It's Lori Bischoff here. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. Actually, this is the very first video podcast that we're doing. So I am very, very excited today to be jumping into this with a super special guest that I have been trying to talk to for quite some time now. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Dr. Srikamar Rao. Oh my gosh. He is the founder of the Dr. Rao Institute, um, the creator of the very pioneering course called Creativity and Personal Mastery. His innovative course was among the highest rated and most popular at many of the world's top business schools. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. It has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Forbes, Time, and countless other publications. He is a Ted speaker, an elite trainer, a consultant and author of the business bestsellers, Are You Ready to Succeed and Happiness at Work? Dr. Rao has helped thousands, Thousands, you guys, of entrepreneurs and others, as well as executives worldwide, achieve a quantum breakthrough in their personal and professional lives. The powerful concepts that he shares propel them entirely into new orbits of success and accomplishment. There's work, but no sense of effort. Are you intrigued? Most importantly, there is also joy. There is sheer unadulterated laughter and genuine happiness. Dr. Rao, welcome to We're Talking Shift.
1: My pleasure entirely, Lori. <clears throat> I'm very much looking forward <clears throat> to the next hour.
0: Well, I am too. I have uh, like I mentioned, I have been just dying to talk to you for quite some time now because you, you, you're just you're out there putting into the entire world, the cosmos, I might say, even the, the way that you look right now, all of these wonderful, wonderful, not even nuggets, I mean gold mines of wisdom that are just Changing people's lives and not just individually, but I think it's so interesting that it's what you're doing is is you've implemented this idea of happiness and joy um, into the business world and we're just I just want to touch on that for a second before we get into the meat of things, which you know we really want to help people right now talk about eradicating stress and and cultivating resilience but before we jump in, would you just give us a little bit about why you're known as the happiness guru and what led you to create this amazing creativity and personal mastery course.
1: Okay. Let me answer the second part first. Okay. I created that course because there was a time in my life when I was feeling very burnt out and uh, very sorry for myself. Actually, Uh, I had a very, very, uh, Successful early career in business. My career took off like a rocket, and then I got burnt out by politics. So I went to the university environment, thinking there would be no politics there. I was sadly mistaken. It's alive and well. Mm-hmm. I said, "Gee, you know, I had such wonderful education. I have a PhD from Columbia Business School, and uh, such a great uh, early career. And now I've blown it all." And You know, I'm not never going to get back. My life is over. I was feeling really sorry for myself.
0: Sure.
1: So what actually happened is that I've always been reading the great uh, teachers of history, the persons from the various wisdom traditions, and they would take me to a wonderful place. And I came back to the real world and it sucked. So I came up with my bright idea, which is why don't I take the teachings of the world's great masters strip them of religious cultural and other connotations and adapt them so that they're acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society Mm -hmm. and the thought of doing that made me come alive so i needed that course for me ah so that's how i created it it was a a, you know part of my journey of growth and in the process of doing that, I discovered that what was plaguing me was not unusual. There were thousands, mm-hmm. tens of thousands, millions of people who were stuck in the same quandary.
0: Yeah. Isn't and that I interesting found out though? That what
1: I discovered could actually help them. So that's right. how it came about.
0: Right. And it, it's interesting that so often we hear that um, something that somebody is creating. Um, to be, you know, of, of value to others, it usually starts out as something that we needed for ourselves. Absolutely. And, right?
1: much, much more often. So in this particular case, I needed to create that course for me. And uh, I put a lot of emotional energy into it and it just took off like a rocket because everybody wants to be happy. Right. One of the things I discovered, Laurie, is that we all walk around with an undercurrent of tension, which is always with us. I should be doing something else. Oh my God, there's so much to do. I haven't mm-hmm. accomplished as much as I should have at this stage in my life. And look at and so-and-so, who's so much more successful. And there are other people who are handsomer and have more beautiful partners and bigger houses and bigger private jets. And why aren't I there? And you know, all this mishmash of thoughts and emotions. And it's always there as an undercurrent of tension in our lives. And we don't even recognize we have that. Until Mm -hmm. I show you how you can put a stop to that and say, oh, my God, this is so much better. It's like you have a loud refrigerator or a fan or an air conditioner in a room and you get used to it. Then all of a sudden it stops and it's suddenly so wonderful and quiet.
0: Yes, yes. And you didn't even realize that it was this annoying noise just always there until it's gone.
1: So people aren't really happy. Go back to the time when you were a kid, you know, you were five, six, and you could happily play around in puddles all day, and a nickel was better than a dime because it was bigger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. So <coughs> we become like victims of like comparing things. Yes. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. so you can't go back to being a little child but you can go back to being like a little child and really enjoying what life has given to you and most of the time we don't enjoy what life has given to us we're too busy being somewhere else or agonizing over all the other things we want which we don't have Mm
0: -hmm. without ever
1: pausing to think about why do we want this anyway
0: And that is so key too. I I agree. So many times we, we realize ourselves or, you know, people we're working with that um, they haven't, they haven't actually done that deep investigative questioning of themselves of what is it about this thing you want to be or do or have that is you know, making you so stressed and compelling you to go after it. They, they haven't thought so deeply through why they want it and what it is, what they think is going to change for them once they have it on those deeper levels. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The deeper levels, not Uh just the surface levels. Right. So, so it's, it's crazy, crazy times for us. And it's, right now, Dr. Rao. And, and you know, it's not that there haven't been a lot of other crazy, bizarre times throughout human history. So it's not like we're experiencing anything new here. It's just maybe, you know, a new version of uncertainty for people, a lot of people at the same time. So I thought it would be great to uh, to talk about and give people some guidance on how they can try to reduce or eradicate some of the stress that they're feeling and um and help them cultivate some resilience while we get through this phase um because it's not only just now but obviously this is stuff that we need to know and 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 guidance that people can use for their entire lives not just in this one particular phase
1: correct yes i'll be happy to do what i can laurie
0: Wonderful. That's I why you're here. That
1: every day you ought to get up and your blood is sinking at the thought of being who you are and doing what you do. That if your life is not like that, where you're not radiantly alive, at least some of the time, mm. you're wasting your life. And life is altogether too short to waste. That's why I get, I don't particularly like the name, the happiness guru, but, you know, it's kind of found its way there and it sticks. So... <laughs>
0: It's. It could be worse, right?
1: It could be a lot worse. <laughs> that, yes. That's,
0: that's not a bad title to be stuck with. I don't think, Dr. Rao. <laughs> so, so what? Um, okay. So let's start with. For me, and I, I'm sure for you, it. it there's a, I believe that it always, it's got to shift in your mind first, the way that you're thinking about things, right? The meaning you're applying to things. So when, when we talk about ways to become more alive, radiantly alive, as you say, um, what do they have to start? What do people have to start shifting? Are there some core concepts that we can help them with to make that mental shift? Because it's got to start inside before anything, you know, outside. Oh,
1: absolutely. Right. The first important concept I want to share with your listeners is we have this thing called mental chatter. Mental chatter is an internal monologue that's always in our mind. It begins when we get up in the morning, is with us throughout the day, and uh, is, in fact, with everyone right now, the kind of thing that goes, what is this mental chatter? Do I really have it? What is this guy saying? Can I? It's all mental chatter. Now, the problem with mental chatter is we ignore it because it's there. It's like an unwelcome relative who's shown up at your house and you can't throw him out. So we live our lives in spite of our mental chatter. Try to suppress it, ignore it, work around it. And that's a big mistake because we create our life with our mental chatter. We think we live in a real world, we don't. We live in a construct and we make that construct with our mental chatter. That's what persons don't recognize. Let me give you an example. This is a very uh, important teaching of the Buddha and I'm going to narrate the parable of the second arrow. And the Buddha asked his disciple, Ananda, Ananda, if an arrow would have hit you in the arm, would it not be very painful? And the Lord said, yes, Lord, it would be very painful. And if a second arrow would have hit you exactly where the first arrow hit you, would it not be even more painful? The Buddha said, yes, Lord, it would be even more painful. And the Buddha asked, why then do you shoot the second arrow? Now, that confuses most people when they hear it. So I have to elaborate. So let me elaborate by means of an example. So there was this mother, and she was a very good, loving mother. And her son turned 16. He got his provisional driver's license. And one day he comes up to his mother, all excited, and says, Hey, mom, I'm going to meet a bunch of my friends, and can I take the car? The mother says, of course not. You just got your driver's provisional license. license. You're not yet ready to drive. Where do you have to go? I'll drop. you." says, no, no, mom, you don't understand. You can't be there. So she said, okay, fine. There's Uber, there's Lyft. What do you want to do? No, 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 you don't understand. You can't be there and I have to take the car. It's very important that I have to take the car and you can't be there. So she says, no, but You know how children are, he begs, he pleads, he wheedles and bit by bit, she feels herself giving way and she takes promises for him, no beer, no drinking, no, no mom, no drinking and you'll be back by 10 o'clock, yes, and you'll call, yes. So finally, reluctantly, she gives him the keys. And of course, once he gets the keys, he forgets all about his promises. He forgets to call home, forgets about the curfew, drinks too much. On the way back, he has a serious accident, has to be operated on immediately. And his mother is there in the you know, hospital while he's being operated on. And then they wheel him out to the recovery room and she rushes home to take a quick shower so she can go back. And at that time, her friend calls. And the friend says, What kind of a mother are you? How could you possibly have let him take the car? You're not a mother, you're a murderer. Now, you'd be shocked, right, that a friend would say something like this at a time like that. Right. You'd probably be much less shocked if I told you it wasn't the friend who said that, it's what she told herself. Mm. That is the second arrow the second arrow the second arrow is always delivered by means of mental chatter that's the important thing to remember the second arrow is mm-hmm. always delivered by means of mental chatter it's bad enough that her son has had a serious accident and has been operated on telling herself she's a lousy mother she's a murderer and the many ways in which she failed does it make things in any way better But we do it all the time.
0: Right. So one
1: of the ways to consider, no matter what situation you're facing, your mental chatter about that situation makes it at least an order of magnitude worse. For all the persons who come to me for coaching, for all the persons who come to me, my programs, if I could get them to stop at the second arrows, they'd be much better off. Most of the time they're already on the 25th or 510th arrows.
0: I've had that experience as well with many of my clients. And so I, I I say, hashtag MYM, and that's my my thing for mind your mind. Yes. It's, it's, it's an exercise in this practice on learning how to mind your mind, or right? Because those thoughts, that mental chatter that you're talking about, and those thoughts that we keep allowing to just do whatever they want and go wherever they want in our minds – ends up creating uh, you know our emotions and how we feel and how we're looking at everything and
1: Complete um, mym i like that hashtag i'm gonna steal that right away well
0: (laughs) be my guest please i will be honored for you to steal my hashtag (laughs) dr rao so yes hashtag mym mind your mind because you know if you look at it like Like attracts like, and you think about the thoughts that that you consistently think. If if you are consistently thinking negative or disempowering or fearful thoughts, those thoughts go out and they invite all of their friends in. Like attracts like. And then it just becomes a big party and community of those same types of thoughts. And then your life unfolds accordingly, right? Exactly true, Yes yeah so it's it's important, people. Listen to don't don't keep shooting arrows in your arm. <laughs> don't shoot second arrows. <laughs> the first is bad enough.: <laughs> Exactly. So, okay, what about um, mental models? That's something I've heard you refer to before. Yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, and I'm sure it probably ties in with the mental chatter.
1: A mental model is a notion we have that this is the way the world works. And we've got dozens of models. We've got a model for everything. We've got a model for how do I find a job. How do I get ahead in the job that I find? How do I find a person to marry? How do I bring up my children? We've got dozens of models. Some of these models may be in conflict with each other and we may or may not be aware of the conflict the problem is not that we have mental models the problem is that we're not aware that we have mental models we think this is the way the world works but this is not the way the world works this is our model of the way the world works and the more we believe in our model the more Evidence we get that this, in fact, is the way the world works, and very soon we build a silo around ourselves that's so thick we can't break out. We're seeing this play out in the world around us. You know, we—you belong to a different political party, and obviously you have horns growing on your head, and you've got cloven hooves. And uh, the more you believe that, the more evidence you find that that is exactly true.
0: Yes, yes, We always find what we're looking entrenched. for. Yes,
1: we're all getting completely entrenched in that. Mm-hmm. So, the problem isn't that we have mortals. The problem is that we're not aware that we have mortals and we believe that this is reality. But I'm going to make a blanket statement to you, Laurie, and to all of your listeners. Every time you have a situation in your life that you find unpleasant, not some of the time, not most of the time, every time, you have a situation in your life that you find unpleasant and it persists, you're using one or more mental models that are not serving you well. And when you learn to identify those mental models and make tweaks in them, you'll find poof, the situation resolves itself just like that. It's almost like magic.
0: Yes, and what do you think though, I mean, people that have, well, we all have our our mental models and Mm -hmm. it's a, a matter of becoming aware of what they are so that we can determine which ones are working well for us and which ones aren't. But how do we help people understand that we all have different models. Your model of the world isn't the only exi- that's not the only reality, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own version of it, depending on right their their history, their experiences, um, their culture, whatever. so helping people to understand that there's not just one model or one reality, even though it may from from our perspective and, and from outside appearances, it seems like we're all looking at the same thing, but, but we're not, right? We're not looking at the same thing, and we're not, and more importantly, we're not ascribing the same meaning to the thing that we're right, looking
1: at. Yes. We so, think that we are living in the reality, but we aren't. We are living in a reality, and we constructed that reality. There is no, this is the reality. There is only a reality. And I constructed it using my mental chatter and my mental Mm models. And a big part of the work I do is helping people recognize that what they're living in is not the reality, but a reality and they constructed it. And this is actually hugely liberating because if you're living in the reality and you don't like it, you're screwed, grin and bear it. But if you're living in, a reality and you don't like it, you can deconstruct the parts of it that are not working for you and build it up again. Mm -hmm. This is a process you can do over and over again for the rest of your life. And how you do that is a big chunk of the work that I do. My coaching programs, my online and live programs, that's exactly what I focus on. You're not living in the reality, you're living in a reality, and you built it. However much you like to say, oh, it happened and I had no role. You did have a role. In fact, you had a creator's role. And the moment you accept it, you find that there are all kinds of tools you have available to you to move to a better reality, and then a still better one. And this is the rest of your life journey. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah and what, it seems like once people f- will finally allow themselves to uh to to own to own that that mm-hmm. they can create um something anew there's even though there's work to do maybe and there's still you know there's still uh there's still things to deal with maybe challenges but the sense of freedom then that comes over them because now you don't feel like you're trapped and a victim yes. you feel like you have some control
1: yep big time yes yeah
0: so how um I heard you talk about living in a a me centered universe how is how does that relate to our our I guess our mental models of the world um and and what is the antidote um, to people that are sort of stuck in that me centered universe? what do you mean by that and how can they shift that um, because I think I heard you say it it Keeps them in living in a mediocre existence.
1: Absolutely. And that's very, very true. We all lead our lives of quiet desperation, as Walt Whitman put it so beautifully. And the reason is because we're always looking at the world in terms of what's the impact on me. Mm -hmm. All of us. You know, your partner gets a great job offer, and you immediately think, how is this going to affect our relationship? Your boss leaves the company and you go, who's the next person going to be? And what's my relationship going to be with that person? Or possibly, am I going to get promoted or is it that turkey down the hall? Even when we're being altruistic, oh, earthquake in Mexico, let's donate. And you call up the toll-free number and very soon you're going, how dare they put me on hold for so long? We have an incredible capacity to bring everything down to what's the impact on me. That's what I mean when I say we live in a me-centered universe, and if that that is where you spend the majority of your time, you are going to lead a mediocre existence. Literally, the only way we can break out of that is to find a cause which is bigger than we are, a cause which brings a greater good to a greater community, And we have tremendous flexibility in defining both the greater good and the greater community. But unless we find something like that to which we can subsume, if not our own life, at least a big chunk of it, we're going to live a mediocre existence. Do you have children, Lori?
0: I do. Uh, My husband and I have two children. Uh, They're in their Mm -hmm. mid-30s. One of them is married. And uh, yes, they of course live on opposite ends of the country.
1: Good. You don't look old enough to have kids who are in their 30s, so you're probably pulling my legs, but I will let them go. But go back to the time when they were young. Can you remember they were very young, and maybe one of them got up in the night and you wanted to go to sleep, but you got up in the night and you saw that uh, she was crying and you held her and comforted her, and she felt all better and she just lay down. With her head on your bosom, and you felt so fulfilled. Can you remember something
0: like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, for the time being, you were concentrated on what am I going to do to this wonderful creature to, you know, ameliorate the suffering that she is. And the fact that you were woken up and you were sleep deprived and all, it just went out of the window. Yes. That's the kind of feeling that you can have and should have. All you have to do is expand who you consider to be yours. So as we grow up and children become independent, we lose some of that spontaneity and uh, ability to identify with them. But it is possible for you to cultivate that. The Buddhists have a term for that. They call it metta. So when you come to the point where the world is your family and everything you're doing is for the greater good, as best you understand it, you will find that that same feeling of joy and love and gratitude automatically spring up in you. It's your job to ignite that within you right where you are.
0: I love how you just put that the perspective, um, because I think you're right. We do lose, um, that, or we don't apply, I should say that concept of everything is, is ours. Everything affects us. We just, if it's not like, well, that's, that's my child or my family member or my business or my home. It's, it's very much about if it's not mine, I don't really need to be concerned about it. Um, but, but it is different when you think about expanding what you think is yours. I love expanding you your that. sense of
1: awareness so that you include everybody in your expanded awareness mm-hmm. right and, now, very much like people, you know, there's a guy on the boat and uh, he's very, very busy drilling a hole underneath him. And one of the other persons remonstrates, says, why are you bothered? This is my half of the boat.
0: Oh, my God. That, that um, illustrates the concept pretty clearly.
1: That's where we are now. Yes. And we have to get out of that. So Einstein put it beautifully. He said that we can only solve the mess we have created by rising to a higher level of consciousness because you cannot solve the problem at, at the, same the same level of left. consciousness you were in when you created it.
0: Yes, it is one of my favorite Einstein quotes. I love that. And it's so true. Yes. Um, and I think, uh, and you're right, being able to um, de- develop the awareness and and the desire, even if you just start small, it doesn't have to be big, but that um, desire to just contribute to something yes. beyond yourself. Um it may seem small to you, but to other people, even the smallest gesture of contribution is can be life changing for people. And, it, it, and you really don't important. have
1: to think about small or big, Laurie, because that itself is a mental model. You just mm-hmm. do what you can to the extent that you can, and stop labeling it as this is small and this is big.
0: Good advice. Good advice. So let's talk for a minute about um, presence um, and how the act of being present affects other people. Um, And I think maybe explaining exactly how to be present. uh, I think sometimes people think, well, I'm here, but just because you're just because you're there physically doesn't mean you're actually present, right? <laughs> I have a
1: beautiful story about that, Laurie. Would you like to hear that?
0: I, of course, of course. Please All right. share.
1: So I was teaching at London Business School and one of my students, uh, you know, he really felt he got so much from the course that his life was transformed. And uh, he was going through a somewhat messy divorce and his wife and uh, he were going to live in different countries and he had a son must or eight ish or so and uh, the son was you know quite upset so one day when his wife was not there he started talking to his fun, uh, son and he said you know daddy and mommy are going to live in different countries yes and uh, you're not going to be together anymore yes and he said, "Is there any way that this could possibly be a good thing rather than a bad thing? Let's think about that." And uh, you know, he said, "You're going to live with your mom, and you're going to be in rural area, and you're going to live with your dad, and you're going to be in the metropolis." And the son said, yeah, I'm going to have different sets of toys. And I'm going to have different friends. And when I come with daddy, I'm going to go cycling. when I go with mommy, I can go swimming. And they really started getting into it. And they pulled up more and more items. And uh, he said, I'm going to have lots of plane rides. He really liked flying. So I'm going to have lots of plane rides. And they were all excited at the end of 15 minutes. They were bouncing up and down. And the dad said, boy, that really worked in spades and then he asked the son and is there anything else i can do for you and the son said i wish you would talk to me like you just did most of the time when you're here you're never really here and he said it with such pathos in his voice that half the class had moist eyes. Mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right a lot of the times we are there but we're not there
0: yeah yeah i remember when um when, uh, several years back when my husband was in, um, I think it was probably it was probably more than several years when blackberries were still the uh <laughs> the preferred technology and um and now you could you know respond to emails you know wherever you were and you didn't have to just wait until you got home to do it and so I could see the pattern starting to develop develop of out for dinner or wherever we were you know glued to glued to that and um and it was is the same thing. I, I finally, I had to say, what I started to do was I started to just stop talking in mid-sentence because I'd be, t- maybe we'd have a conversation and I'd see this start happening. And so I would just, <laughs> so I just, I just, I just stopped and, um, you know, enjoyed the scenery until he started to pick up on the fact that all of a sudden- Good. Right. And, uh, and that's how we cured that, which, which was, you know.
1: Wonderful. I got to try that. i noticed that you have the exact same format and yours as I have on mine.
0: <laughs> we have much in common, I think, Dr. Rao. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> much in common. That's more deeper than a phone accoutrements. <laughs> <akutrovitz. laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> so, So that I think, um, being present is something that it's a, just a bad habit. It seems that people develop, they just don't realize that, you know, they may be there physically, but they've let their mind or the distraction of this pull them either into, you know, some other, uh, some other thing that they're concentrating on or, or thinking about future events or thinking about past events. And they're just not there present with the person that they're with. Um, And that actually creates a form of stress between them and whoever they're supposed to be present with, right? That's
1: part of what I mean by the low-level stress that we carry around with us all the time. Right. We lack the ability to be present, and that is a big part of the problems that we face regularly.
0: Mm -hmm. And right now with people being um, kind of forced to spend maybe a lot more hours together under the same roof or in the same home. Um, So it's, it's just really, I think so important for them to realize uh, how being present with each other and maybe talking about, um, you know, how they're going to, how they can best get through this phase and looking for the, looking for any potential upside and looking for what good is possibly coming of it and absolutely yes dreaming about what could what they can create moving forward is so helpful right to create um less stress Mm
1: -hmm. yes laurie our awareness is like a flashlight what does a flashlight do a flashlight illuminates whatever you shine it on right yes now Think of your awareness like a flashlight and shine it on the chair in which you are sitting. The moment I ask you to do that, and you actually do it, you become aware of the pressure of your buttocks on the seat. You feel the fabric or the leather against the back of your thigh. Is that correct? Yep. One minute ago, you weren't aware of any of this, but now you are. Why? Because you're shining the flashlight of your awareness on it. So we constantly shine the flashlight of our awareness on all of the things that we think are wrong in our lives. But we never shine it on the things which are pretty darn good about our life. Mm. Do you have to bother about whether you're going to have dinner tonight? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have a bed to sleep in? Any of this is a big deal in a big chunk of the world outside, right? Then you know it. So you are incredibly privileged, but you don't feel incredibly privileged. You feel, stress, stress, you feel stressed and put upon because aware you shine the flashlight of your awareness on. What I advocate people do in my program is shine the flashlight your, off your awareness on the many things which are pretty damn good in your life. Savor it, wallow in it, immerse yourself in it, bathe in it. I want everyone to have the default emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude, because when you're in the default emotional domain of appreciation, and gratitude, you're not angry, you're not fearful, you're not anxious, they cannot coexist. And it's really as simple as that. Think of your awareness like a flashlight, consciously shine it on what is good in your life, Occupy that emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude. And from that emotional domain, you then address the stuff in your life that you think you need to change. Hmm. You'll be far more effective in your activity if you do that.
0: It's true. I think... uh... And I'm sure that right now, especially, there are lots of people that are rolling their eyes, going, "Oh, there's that gratitude thing again." I keep hearing about it, but I think it's um, it's the people that are maybe not taking the time to practice that and feel it. Um, they're not realizing the power in that, and and how right it can shift everything for them.
1: Another big problem, Laurie. And the big problem is the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of us have become type A individuals who live in your head. Mm-hmm. And when you become a type A individual who lives in your head, there is a tendency to think gratitude rather than feel gratitude. So you can't go good health check, food to eat check, roof overhead check, it doesn't work like that. You have to actually experience the feeling of gratitude and not think intellectually, yeah, I know I'm well off. And it takes some doing. And uh, would you like some tips on how to move from thinking gratitude to feeling gratitude?
0: I think that would be wonderful to share with people. The more of that we can spread around, the better, Dr. Rao.
1: Well, the way to do that is to take the flashlight of your awareness and keep shining it on the things which are good. Say you have food to eat, so you're not constantly hungry or thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So when a client calls and the client has a problem, you can get on a Zoom call like this, or you can get on the phone and help solve the problem. When you go to bed, you can go to sleep because you're not thinking about, oh, I'm so hungry. I don't even have to eat. Where is my next meal going from? So if you start thinking about all of the things that are in your life that are wonderful, and don't just think that, but tell yourself stories about that and see how because of that, other things are also happening. And if you keep the flashlight of your awareness on that, then, gradually, the thinking will change into feeling. You just have to be quietly persistent
0: yes and it and it does work uh, I have my own um gratitude practice, and it's it's no longer even a practice because once you once you get into that way of moving through the world, it becomes a state, uh, just a state yes. of being. And it's That's no longer- That's the
1: exact correct word. State of being is correct. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then I just, uh, I can't wait when I get into bed every night, it's just as automatic as, as you know, putting my head on the pillow yes. is the feeling of how, you know, how I, I love how my you know, I'm comfortable and I'm safe and I'm fed and I feel like I have things that I want to do and contribute and to go to, to sleep feeling that way. Yes. Um, just, it sets you up for, um, you know, in a very empowered and grateful and just good feeling state for the next day. It does exactly work.
1: correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Exactly correct.
0: Dr. Rao, do you have a going rogue story for me?
1: Uh what is a going rogue story
0: <laughs> So a going rogue story I I love to invite my my first time guests um to share one or or more um story about a time in their life um might be related to what we're talking about might be something totally unrelated doesn't matter but it was a time when maybe you came up against um a an opportunity Uh, or a challenge, something that was maybe really radical or you had decided to take a hard left instead of going in the other direction. (laughs) It was just maybe out of protocol. Maybe people thought you were nuts and maybe it was scary, but you did it anyway and you kind of went rogue. You did it anyway and it ultimately, even though it was maybe risky or scary, it changed the course of your life for the better.
1: Oh, (sighs) I have several stories, Laurie, but uh, let me pick one, which is fairly recent. Okay. You know, my course was enormously popular at many of the world's top business schools. Well, one of the reasons is I presented students with a completely different perspective. Uh, For example, in most business schools, you believe that, uh, you know, your well-being is better when uh, your well-being is higher, better when you have more stuff. So you know, if you can choose between four brands of toothpaste rather than two brands, then you're better off. And uh, if you have a bigger house, you're better off. So I started to question that, and I start to ask my students to think about: if you have more stuff, are you really happier? Are you better off? And there's some excellent work on that. In particular, there is a book called *The Paradox of Choice*, which says it isn't necessarily so. But I I believe at least in the schools I taught was I was the first person to make that a key part of my teaching for your well-being, Do you really need more stuff? Are you well advised to really chase the biggest salary that you can get and other things, you know, like say, for example, I was a marketing professor. So if you talked about advertising that the course was all about, how do you make your advertising better? How do you let it persuade more people? And uh, I had a different take on it, which is, is advertising ethical? And uh, what you really are doing is creating a want in persons, making them dissatisfied with who they are. And particularly when it comes to women and the purveying of, uh, you know, all kinds of creams and shampoos and lotions and mascara and so on. All of them have the same underlying message. You're not good enough as you are. Yeah, what do you need to do is take my brand of guck and put it on your hair, your nose, your mouth, or whatever it's designed for, and then you're going to become good enough. And is this something that uh, you want to be involved in? I was being deliberately provocative, but I was going very sharply against the prevailing ethos. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised at how many students completely came on board and said that you know, these are some of the most interesting. Discussions we have ever had. We never really thought of questioning what it is we do and why we do it. So we got some very, very interesting and animated discussions and word spread, and more people wanted to be part of that. And it just snowballed.
0: Sure. And I would imagine that was a pretty going rogue move because that is so outside oh, yes. of protocol for business classes and courses in particular, correct?
1: Completely. And especially when you start questioning sacred dogma, mm. such as shareholder maximization is the way to go and uh, things like that. But we got into some wonderful, wonderful discussions. And this was the first time that many of my students had been challenged to question what is accepted wisdom.
0: Yes. That's amazing because it could have, uh, That could have had a, it could have gone either way, right? You could have kind of risked your reputation and career for this um, questioning, deeper questioning on on all of these things that have never been brought up before. That was risky. That's a good one. That's good going rogue. Yay, (laughs) Dr. Rao. Okay. (laughs) You you didn't know you were such a rogue happiness guru, did you? No, (laughs)
1: no. (laughs) I never thought of myself as going rogue for me it was self-obvious, you know, let's talk about all of this because ultimately my course was about the individual. It's not what you can go out and create. It's who are you being? My goal always was we tend to define success by external metrics, how much money you have, what position you have in the hierarchy, how much power you have accumulated and so much. And I invited people to think of success in terms of who they are internally. Are you happier on a day by day, minute by minute basis? Mm-hmm. Do you have a deep sense of purpose that what you're doing is of value? Do you are you rooted in a sense of well-being? That's how you measure success, not by yeah. the choice you have.
0: Right. And so many people have it um, inverted, right yeah. they, they think that it's the other things that you're talking about that are going to give them that, um, but really it 's an illusion yes, completely. Mm-hmm.
1: But they have to recognize it for themselves mm-hmm. and because mine's, mine was an advanced elective, and people a self selected to apply, and then they were screened again because I had to accept their application. Mm they pretty much knew that it's not true that he who has the most toys wins.
0: That's true. Well, I mean, we've all heard um, endless stories about um, people that um, we think um, c- would be the happiest people on earth because they appear to have everything. They have resources. Maybe they have money, they have celebrity, they have, they have um, the means to get whatever it is they need to make them happy. And yet Um, stories of tragedy for those people uh, every year. Lots. Completely.
1: There's a story I use in my course. It talks about a mendicant who said, Jake, you know, life is very difficult for me. I will go and uh, meet the emperor because the emperor has a reputation of being very, very, very generous. So he goes to see the emperor, and it's dark. And uh, the uh, he <coughs> comes across the private shrine where the emperor prays, and he goes in there to offer his own prayers. And then the emperor comes in, and the emperor offers his prayers, and then he asks for victory over his enemies, and he asks for you know wealth to pay you know beat certain expenses. He had kind of a whole bunch of things. And the mendicant listens to all of that. And then he gets up and tries to tiptoe away, but the king sees him and says, hey, you, who are you? And he says, you know, I'm a mendicant and I came here to ask for he uh, says, Well, why are you going away? You haven't asked me for anything. And he says, there's no need. I see that you're a beggar just like me.
0: Ah, oh, <laughs> interesting.
1: It's a really powerful tale if you pause to think about it
0: yeah yeah i'm I'm actually going to uh, replay this back and uh think about that a little bit more. That's a really, really great story. Mm-hmm.
1: you Let's have do another one, and this is equally powerful. so again, it was an aged mendic- mendicant and he comes up to the royal palace and he says, I want to spend a night in this Sarai. And the guard said, no, no, you can't come in. But, you know, he had such a forceful personality that they didn't stop him. And he went in and he went all the way to the royal darbar room. That's the, you know, great hall. And he stamps to the floor and said, I want to spend a night in this caravanserai." And he had such a regal bearing and his eyes were so bright that nobody could stop him. So eventually, Wood got out to the king and the king came himself. And the mendicant looks at him and says, yeah, I want to spend a night in this caravanserai. And the king smiles amusedly and says, gladly will my men give you a bed and uh, make it easy for you to stay. But please know that you have not come to a caravanserai. This is the royal palace. So the mendicant comes to the king and says, I have been here before. I came here two e- 20 years ago. Was it you who made me welcome? I said, no, no, you know, that was my father. He is now no more. I ascended the kingdom upon his demise. God rest his soul. And the mendicant persists. But I came 10 years before that also. Was it then your father? No, that was my grandfather. And the man says, and this place where people sojourn for an year or two and goes, do you still insist it is not a caravan, Sarai?
0: perspective. The cake. (laughs) These are
1: stories, but they're very, very, very powerful stories. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um,
0: Yes, they do. They do. Um, Because there's just the same meaning and the same core messages that our great master teachers and all of these stories are conveying, you know, just throughout thousands of years of history, there's just some core things that don't change, right? That if we, if we could just, uh, if we could just embrace the messages, they're, they're not that complicated. No, they're quite simple. Yes.
1: Remember. And you've got to use them in your life. Yes. Where the rubber meets the road.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to know, but then you have to take it and kind of put boots to the ground and you have to apply it.
1: Completely right, Laurie.
0: Dr. Rao, thank you so much for sharing your time today. It has been just such a delight. I'm so honored that you shared all of this time with us and I would love it if you would consider coming back someday and sharing some more of your wonderful wisdom and stories and tips.
1: That would be my pleasure, Laurie. I very much look forward to doing that. And oh, and be- Have a terrific day. It's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, I will. I will. And before I let you go, I do want you to take a minute and share where people can find out more about you and your, your books and your course.
1: Absolutely. The best way is to go to my website, which okay. is www.theraoinstitute.com. T-h-e, and if they want to reach me, they can email me. And my email is very simple. It's srikumar, S-R-I-K-U-M-A-R dot Rao, R-A-O at com. I'll be very happy to, you know, speak with them, elaborate on any uh, of the concepts I shared with you. But there's a lot of stuff on my website and there's more coming on. And if they go to my website and register, then they become part of my list. They get my blogs and information about my programs.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. So there you heard it, everyone. If you are searching for happiness and just deeper meaning to your life, um, I I highly recommend that you go to Dr. Rao's website and look at everything that he has to offer. Um, if If you're ready to shift then go there, yes. check it out. Yes, he's got some amazing tools and information to share with you. Um, if you would like some guidance shifting your mindset and getting unstuck, you can also go to lauribischoff.com. You can learn what private coaching with me is all about as well. Um, if you find value in everything that you hear on this podcast and everything in the show today, please don't be greedy and keep this to yourself. Share all of this good shift yes. with everybody, right, Dr. Rao? Let's spread the good shift around um, as much it, as possible.
1: I would also like to say share unreservedly. It's casting bread upon the water. It will come back in one way or the other. And even if it doesn't, it's whatever you can do to make anyone's life a little bit better, do it.
0: It's, it's about the most rewarding thing that you can yes, do, I think. By far. Yes. So there we have it, you guys. Until next week, Stay feisty, my friends. Stay happy. Namaste, Lori. <laughs> Namaste. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Rao. Bye-bye. <laughs>